This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Curious hours of your life is that as long as set and setting are pretty good, and you've got uh, get it off the volume knobs, slide it, and maybe flip it all up together so the cables the other side. Not only are the set and settings, um, what the set and settings do with that three percent chance that you might have the most freaky experience of your life, is that the and not to mention your, the people there might be holding your hand through it, is that you may actually sense that all you're really doing is meeting your ego. And it's really hard. When I say meeting your ego, I don't mean you're meeting your ego, meeting your ego. What I mean is your ego's really upset about having, it, having the ego ripped away. And so it's, it's attacking. You're, you're really being attacked by your ego that doesn't want to lose its, thank you, doesn't want to lose its, my, my websites, uh, and when we advertise my Shabbatons, whatever, so the, they're all saying, like, you need new pictures, Rabbi, new pictures. So I finally, I finally saw, okay, there's enough people in here. So I WhatsApp Gabriel to take a few shots. Um, anyway, the... You're really just dealing with your ego that doesn't want to get taken away. I mean, think about it. All of us are going to lose our ego at one point. Meaning everything you have, and I know a lot of you don't have that much at this point, but, but let's say I'm speaking to a married person with children and a house and cars and, and you know, mortgage and savings and their favorite pictures and their collections of whatever they got and whatever their hobbies are and all their favorite sports and everything. Their kids, their grandkids, their, their, it's all going to get ripped away. But really, it's not going to get ripped away. You're going to get ripped away, but it's going to feel like it's getting ripped away. Really, you're getting taken. It's called death, meaning, meaning you're going to die. And everything you built is going to get taken away from you, which we never look at it that way, right? We're, like, we're the ones going out. So then what's the freaky thing? The answer is the freaky thing is really you feel like it's getting ripped away. Because all the stuff you attached self to, all the stuff you attached ego to, meaning you guys all still think, and I do too, and we're all, we all have ego. You all still think, as well as I, that stuff that's going on in our lives and stuff we have and stuff we're doing and stuff, including your, maybe your marital status if you're married, is augmenting who you are. It somehow adds to you. But it doesn't at all because who you are is a soul. And you cannot add to a soul. It's part of the infinite. So you cannot really augment who you are. That's not possible to augment who you are. You can't become more. The second you are identifying with ego, you're automatically on a scale compared to all others. The second you don't, we're all completely equal. So the fear of death is the fear of having that part of you that is what's called the, the self-image. It's taken away. <laughs> now, Everyone knows when you die, you're going to lose your self-image. But 
what is your self-image? And the answer is that if it's ego-based self-image, well, it's made of everything you got, including that sweet Cadillac, yeah? And a wife and kids and house and that's all going, which is freaky, scary. This is why it's so important that you pay attention to these classes because we're offering that the latter half of your life will be chill. It won't be, you know, something really scary where everything's getting taken away. Because if you're living a self-image that's based on soul, so then nothing will be taken away from you. You already have all that you will ever have. Because anything, any possession or marital status or children or any of that stuff can, does not augment, does not augment, we got a couple chairs here, gentlemen, does not augment the soul in any way. Three chairs. Nothing you could have can add to you. And nothing you can lose can take anything away. And so the more you pay attention as a Jew to the teachings of Judaism, the more you integrate the wisdom, you're setting up the latter half of your life to be a, a life of well-being as opposed to a life of fear that everything you've ever had will be ripped away from you. But it also leads to a life of love because when you have, when your self-image is based on soul as opposed to ego, so then this self, so then what happens is you're, you're, you feel deeply connected to all other souls. You feel connected, you feel good with people. You're comfortable in yourself, you're comfortable with others. People feel at peace with you. With you, they don't feel the competition. With you, they don't feel any threats. Because someone who's come to soul as self-image loves in a way that there's no selfishness there. Meaning all of you would love to be in love right now if you're single, but there'd be a lot involved there. There'd be a lot of selfishness wrapped up in that. I mean, the ultimate on the continuum, the ultimate selfishness would be like what's going on in dance clubs and town or in Tel Aviv or whatever like that. There it's like, what I really want is love, but I'm willing to just take. And on the other hand, it's much more, what we spoke about earlier, is much more sophisticated, like, meaning, I, no, I want marriage. So I'm going to marry the person who, who best augments my self-image. That makes my, me into something more somehow, as if someone can make you into more. Reminds me of a joke that a guy said, uh, before I was married, I was only half a man. Now she's finished me off completely. <laughs> and so the reason why when, in, when people involved today in the, all the laboratories that are working on the, the terrible ailments that people are dealing with today, which are the famous, one of the famous ones today are um, obsessive, obsessive thinking, which they call OCD, uh, depression is a big one today. Um, uh, what's the other one? Anxiety is the big one. Those are kind of the big three today. You know those big three? Uh, OCD, which is just obsessive thinking. Um, depression is a biggie. 
especially the millennials, have a horrible bout with uh, a horrible challenge with depression, and uh, and then the last is anxiety. So the um, so the clinics that are working with with uh, psilocybin, which is a psychedelic mushroom compound, the clinics that are working with that compound, which is you know, the biggest one I think right now is uh, Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, but in UCLA and in NYU in New York City and all these different universities. I mean, they're all over the world working on this. They, um, they set and setting are really, really important. You know, especially when you're in a university that's trying to produce proper. You know, your job isn't to like freak people out. And so, the more they get the set and the settings. I mean, they, they, they had it rough, too, because they, they got the grants for, like, beautiful rooms and stuff, except they still had the white panels on the ceiling. And so they, they thought everything was great. So the guy, like, leans back on the couch, you know, but then he, like, looks up. And he's like, I'm in a university basement lab. And it's coming on. Ah! <laughs> so they've had to, like, redo the ceilings and like they've had to redo everything and now they just blindfold them with uh, they're, now they just blindfold them with uh, music playing and you're, the sitters are there just to hold their hand if they, you know, if they start to panic or and most of the time they're just crying the whole time they're just crying and crying and crying and, and then at the end they say it's all about love you know, it gets a little predictable I imagine <laughs> I imagine the researchers are getting bored you know because they're having gigantic success rates you know like like meaning, oh, I forgot the other one was addiction. Number four is addiction, and they have an eighty percent success rate with alcoholics, with cigarette smokers. Meaning, and and regarding, uh, they, they also have an eighty percent rate of people who have who have treatment uh, resistant depression. They have to have already undergone two entire courses of treatment of depression. And they have an 80% success rate. And the weirdest thing about it is the treatments they were on were years of, you know, God knows what these SSRI chemicals they had put in their brains for years. You know, these antidepressants they had been on with the whole therapy and everything. Guess what? They're getting an 80% success rate having one dose, one pill of the compound of a mushroom produced by God. One dose and no therapy and they're calling them a year later and they're still fine 80 percent success rate what's up with that what do you think the pharmaceuticals with pharmaceutical companies think about that and then you'll start to realize where the war on drugs came from yeah something that a lot of people don't realize is that this whole, the whole war on drugs was a was, was whoever Whoever created it, whoever signed the papers, whoever paid for it, whoever was behind it, are going to have hell to pay when they get upstairs. I don't know how they'll answer for the suicides, for the murders of the drug cartels, you know, because they made it illegal. Tens of thousands of, of missing people in Mexico alone, you know, all over the war on drugs. And, uh, the meaninglessness of the generation, the millennials. Like the, no one comes out of mystical experiences feeling depressed that life's meaningless. Because what it produces more than anything else is a mystical experience. 
Well, once you've had a hands-on, raise your hands here. Just if you've had any experience of God experience, that's what I mean. Or any mystical, I don't care what it is. Raise your hand if you ever felt you had a personal mystical experience of any kind. Okay. And raise them again. Keep your hands up if that changed the course of your life. Okay. Almost every one of you that changed the course of your life. If it didn't change the course of your life, well, speak to me in private. Now, the... But it was almost every single one of you. Now, raise your... Don't raise your hand, but everyone whose hands are down are jealous. Why? Because you're living in the world of ideas, hoping one of those ideas might help. <laughs> you're living in the world of ideas. It's like... I hate it when, like, when rabbis say there's an idea. There's an idea... There's an idea that, uh, so I'd like to share an idea. <laughs> Whenever I hear that, I'm like, he has not experienced this, obviously. If it's an idea, you know, there's no, there's no ideas in Judaism, okay? You want ideas, go to, go to a university and study philosophy. You want ideas? We have experiences. Everything you study is to be experienced. It's, you're, you're to swim in your Torah learning. You're to swim in it. You, it should affect you. You should come out. I mean, have you guys ever gone swimming? You know, you've been swimming at the beach before. Do you feel the rest of the day you were in the ocean? Like, like you were somewhere. Something happened. Yeah? Something took place. You were in it fully. Yeah? And you weren't just sticking your toes in it. You were, you were in the ocean. You were in the jacuzzi. You swam in the pool. Your head went under the surface. You, there's no arguing with that kind of stuff. So that's the way we're supposed to be. In our lives with everything, but certainly our spiritual, uh, ancestral, you know, tradition. Like your Judaism should be experienced. I mean, are you going to experience every time? No. Am I going to? No. I prayed Mincha today, and I have to say it was a non-event. But, but you know, God forbid my Mari is a non-event. I'm going to make my Mari count. Because, like, I don't have too many prayer services to, you know, discard. I just happen to know I wasn't into mincha at the time, but I also knew that I'm going to be teaching already when the last mincha is going to hit of the day. And as an insurance, because in the end, you do have to pray mincha. So as insurance, I prayed even though I knew I wasn't going to get much out of it. And it wasn't going to be, it wasn't going to be swimming. It was going to be get the job done because I'm going to be busy later. So, when Mincha hits. Um, one, more, one more second. So we want, we want our Judaism to be like that. Otherwise, we're, we're, we're relegated to a world of ideas. And ideas never made a difference to anybody. Anybody. I mean, you think the idea... It's more of an idea, I think, that, that cigarette smoke leads to cancer and death. Yeah, that's more of an idea. How do you know that's more of an idea? It doesn't sound like an idea. But how do we know it's an idea? How do you know? Because, see, people still smoke. So it must have been an idea. They were not touched. Didn't make a difference. Whereas the stuff that, you know, <laughs> find me someone who had a lung removed, you know, or a growth in the lung removed, and spent all the time convalescing in the hospital, and a couple more weeks in bed at home, with all the family crying their eyes out, saying goodbye before the doctor started the surgery, and they're literally watching their lives 
which aren't really their lives, but most people are in ego, and so they think their lives maybe get ripped out from under them. Let's see that guy smoke again. It's not an idea. He, would, he swam in the pool of the experience, and that changed everything. This is the famous line of, uh, of uh, Shlomo Karlebach said that you have to get drunk on Yom Kippur. He said you have to get drunk on Purim, and you have to get drunk on Pesach, and you have to get drunk on, on uh, Tisha B'Av, and you have to get drunk on Rosh Hashanah, you have to get drunk on Yom Kippur, and you have to get drunk on Sukkot. You get it? You have to get drunk on what? What do you got to get drunk on? On Yom Kippur. Meaning the day itself is what you drink. You're getting drunk on Yom Kippur. That's the way we have to experience our Judaism. And so all of us, our Judaism is a little bit on the numb side. And, and I understand that. I mean, I certainly have, as a you know, public speaking rabbi, I've certainly spoken to many numb, numb people before. I mean, I get invited to communities where my whole job is like uh, de- defibrillate the community. You know the, you know, the people jumper cables, the defibrillators that shock, you know, yeah. So, <laughs> a lot, of, a lot of the communities that I speak to, my job is to come in with Jewish defibrillators. Yeah, Mayor. Yeah, just going back, you said that we can't add to our soul. Anything that we do doesn't add to the soul itself, right? But then, Judaism that believes we're accountable for our sins, how does that all fit together? In that's a good question, and I thought you were going to ask something else. That besides accounting for your sins, how don't mitzvahs add to the soul when you right, after you die? It's a double question. So the answer is um, they're separate questions. Uh, the first question is uh, what about sins? Aren't we accountable? And the answer is yeah. The it, it's very interesting and super organic, by the way. Meaning uh, whoever created like Dante's Inferno and the whole like Christian version of hell, like I don't know where. <laughs> I mean, they got amazing imaginations, and it's, uh, but that's just not what's up. What is up, as in you're like, oh, now the rabbi knows? I mean, how's the rabbi going to tell me what's up? You know, when you, the only way you could ever know what's up when you die is by dying. So how am I supposed to tell you? Well, when you hear what I'm about to say, you'll say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Perfect logic. Okay, you ready? You go through life, you've got a lot of choices to make. You're always making choices all day long. Even now, you can choose to pay attention, you can choose to space out, you can choose to sit with good posture, or you can just you know, sit however you want. I don't care. I said, but they, you're always in choices. That's one thing you know for sure, is you're going to be making tons of choices. Now, what you also notice is that you don't necessarily have direct correlate, a direct consequence for those choices. Like, for, man, for example, I know a lot of very well-to-do people with beautiful homes and families who are crooks. And I also know some very um, poor people who, um, meaning financially poor, who have uh, either their marriage failed or someone died or they never got married. And, and, you know, 
whatever, they have it rough and they're super righteous. And so unless God has a sixth sense of humor, not to start any blasphemous rumors, but unless God has a sixth sense of humor, there's got to be consequence. Because once you posit a God, you got consequence. And this is something atheists have a big issue with. I mean, a lot of the intellectual atheists today have, they say some pretty nice things, but they can't answer this one. Because because they, they can answer why be good. You know, like, for example, what's the young atheist who everyone loves? What's that big YouTube phenomenon? Sam Harris. Sam Harris. Like, Sam Harris, he can answer, because they ask him, like, why be good? Like, tell us why be good, like, scientifically, if you're an atheist. And so he answers that. And, you know, and he, he does a pretty good job with that answer, although I have other answers as well, from a, but from a Torah perspective, from a God perspective that I think are more important answers and more relevant. But he can't handle the, he can't handle the inane aspect. Inane means pointless aspect of all your choices if there's no consequence. But this is not a class to prove God or disprove God. What this is about is more um, to share with you a little piece of Kabbalah. And that is that having to do with death and sins, and that is that whatever you do in your life that's not right, it gets stuck inside the system. Let me put it like this. You're here, I mean, I realize this isn't going to be that simple, but, but uh, anyone got a piece of fruit here? No? Okay. Um, you're here. We'll pretend I'm home. Can I borrow your uh, pomegranate tea? Hey, you got nuts, bro. I do. Have a nut, please. Just one nut. Just one nut. Oh, there's your nut. Oh, it's mixed bag. No wonder. Okay, I got another. So I have this almond here, and and in order for there, in order for there to be an almond, the <laughs> almonds they don't come out of nowhere. They come out of a whole system. It starts at the very top of the system. Like, I'm going to use a little light in here. At the very top of the system are the words, you know, it's coming out, there's light, and then there's other levels, and then there's other levels, and then there's other levels, and other levels, and then finally there's this world called Yitzira, which has level after level. But, um, but at the very top of the system are the words, let there be vegetation upon the earth. If God were to stop saying that, what would happen to this almond? Yeah, we never look at the words, let there be vegetation upon the earth. All the let there be, there's nine of them, and then the word Bereshit's the tenth of the ten spheres. So we never look at those as like something that once upon a time God created the world using these words. No, the reason there is an almond here is because God's saying, let there be vegetation. If God were to stop saying, let there be vegetation, what would happen to this almond? And what would happen to all the cotton fibers in the room? Including your tables. What would happen to my shirt? You realize that I would be the only one clothing in clothing right now because I'd still have my wool pants and vest. While the rest of you would be naked. And this class would get really interesting. So, the, that's what creates all this stuff. Now, it comes down and 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 down 
until it finally hits, you know, the almond. You know, it's not this almond. I'm talking about like a spiritual almond. Can I have another almond, please? So until it's a spiritual almond, you have to figure it with wings or something. You know, you have another almond in there? Oh, thank God. Oh, one, two more almonds. So until it finally hits another almond, and but this almond, you got to imagine it's, you know, it's an angelic or spiritual form of the almond. And when that hits, that's the very last of the system of let there be vegetation with the kavana of almonds till it finally hits the angelic almond and then down here we have the physical almond. Now, how do you think this angelic almond feels about this whole situation? Would you say that almond's happy about it or unhappy about it? Well, I'll ask you, first of all, are we discussing the spiritual world? Remember, it's still not physical. Are we in the spiritual world? Yeah. Has it gone closer to light or further from light in its process? Further from light. Tell me, further from light, does that make you happy or less happy? Less happy. You're further from the campfire, okay? On a cold night. Okay? This almond is... I mean, I, it's kind of funny to say this about an almond, but let's just say he's kind of P.O.'d. <laughs> he's like, how did I wind up here? You know? Like, realize, because think about it, up the system where, you know, that system's made like electricity is made. So, like, you know, right now, like, my phone's being charged up this cable. So, like, there's a whole system that's saying, like, you know, it's saying, like, I don't know what it's saying. Yom Tov's iPhone, Yom Tov's iPhone, Yom Tov's iPhone. Now, of course, everyone who keeps getting told Yom Tov's iPhone among, along my cable is immediately going to the source of the electricity. But he keeps, keeps getting slapped. Yom Tov's cable. So he goes, Yom Tov's cable. And they Yom Tov's cable. Everyone just keeps getting slapped all the way to the iPhone. Until they finally get... You understand? The whole system's sending electricity, but the electricity's coming from the source. So every molecule of the cable keeps looking up higher towards the source of the electricity, getting told, wham! You know? Yom Tov's cable. He's like, Yom Tov's cable. <laughs> all the way down to, like, Yom Tov's iPhone's getting power. Now, that switch back and forth, by the way, for those who pray, is the Karazel Zeve Amar. The Karazel Zeve Amar. That's what all the angels are doing. That's what they're doing. They're always just Karazel Zeve They're looking up to Hashem and they're getting like apple or they're getting pear or they're getting almond. And, and then they have to come down the system until they're like dropped way down the system into what's called the spiritual almonds, so to speak. The last step is like the spiritual almond, which then is born on the tree, on an almond tree, an almond, which is somehow wound up in my hand. Good news for me, bad news for the almond. Now, that almond that got to the bottom has been greatly exiled from the light. And its greatest desire is to return to the light but that ain't so easy. And uh, so he has um, one particular way back. Oh, by the way, this is a weird thing to say, but all almonds are friends. Almonds unite. So all it takes is one almond to be eaten by the right person, and all the almonds go home. So you don't have to be the one to eat almonds. And that's why, that's why like, um, originally Kabbalists used to eat, and their students used to 
watch them. Because, like, great Kabbalists who, like, were really very familiar with the parallel realms would eat very carefully to get the job done to send the almond home. Because that almond just wants to go home, you know? And the... And the, but a lot of people don't know how to eat. But I'll give you a great hint, though, to send almonds home. Start with making sure that the almond, if it was born in Israel, that it's been, the Truman Meister has been separated because if the gifts to the Kohen and the Levi and all that, Levite were not given, so then the almond becomes like kryptonite. It's dangerous. And it's a spiritual, it's in, the almond's in spiritual danger and the person who eats it's in spiritual danger. And if, God forbid, it gets sold and eaten, so then what happens to that almond, or someone eats it without a bracha, or someone steals it, like all of Jewish law around this almond is what safeguards the almond for its trip home. But if, God forbid, this almond goes the wrong way somehow, meaning a human being takes the almond the wrong way, so then not only was it lowered from the light all the way down, to the physical world, sorry, to the bottom of the spiritual world, and then I eat it without a bracha, or it's stolen, or it what didn't get tithed properly. So then, this almond actually gets even lowered. It goes lower, and gets stuck in this spot. It gets stuck here. It didn't. It doesn't get to go home. It's like its wings were clipped. And it gets stuck here. And that place it gets stuck has a term. It's called Gehenna. The almond gets stuck in this realm. It's a parallel realm to our realm. That's called Gehenna. It's a pretty high-level parallel realm. It's a, it's a, it's a realm. you got to like... Um, it's not right above this place, but it's further. Anyway, it gets to the realm called Gehenna. And then it stays there. grows pointed ears and fangs. Because it was already kind of peeled. Now it's steaming angry. Because it's like, like, I was only, I was just totally shafted. I got sent down the system. And Bozo forgets to make a bracha. Or Bozo takes me off the shook pile as he's walking by. Or Bozo, it even gets worse. Bozo uses the protein, this is a, the protein, and goes and sins late Saturday night in town using the protein that I was. Can't you say that about any food, It's very dangerous. Food's dangerous, man. So, it's not just food. So, Anyway, so what happens is, I'm sorry, I'm not taking your question. What happens is that two things happen. One is when we die, we have to go through a substrate, the soul, your, your consciousness, who's really you, which is how we started this class. The real you has to go through a substrate called Gehenna. Now, Mayor, this is the a thir- there's three points. One is you have to go through the substrate. Point two for Mayor is good news is that whatever you did wrong that's stuck in that substrate, 
ends on the other edge of the substrate and it's gone after that. Meaning as your soul rises, you got to get through there. According to Kabbalah, the longest you can be down there is 12 months. Our rules are we say Kaddish for the person because it helps them while they're going through it for 11 months because we don't want to say the guy was so bad he needed all 12. So we honor the person's reputation by only saying Kaddish for them because you can like cover them with oil. You can like base the person who died with oil by saying Kaddish for them so that while they're in that substrate dealing with almonds that, I don't know, they're like almonds with chainsaws, you know, like... That's just almonds. I mean, you imagine what else might be there. And the uh, meaning, it's everything you touch. That's why I said that it's the the Gehenum. Where that substrate is the most organic thing ever. It's the bed you made. You must sleep in. You're going to sleep in the bed you made. It's not some phantasma, Dante Inferno hell thing. You're creating your own hell, and you'll sleep in that bed. Now, obviously, you'd have to be an idiot to wait to go through that. I mean, no one wants to that. meet an almond with a chainsaw. You've got to be a total dork to do that. You don't have to do that. Just, just take responsibility. Like Adam and Eve ate from the fruit, didn't take responsibility, so they had to leave the garden. You ate from the almond, you didn't make a bracha, or you didn't check the action. That's what you got your right hand for. God, I ate the almond. Hey, it was a bad thing to do. I regret having, you know, blown you off in my life in the process of eating the almond. And I take on that the next time I wind up with an almond in my hand, I'm going to be making a brach. Well, I'm going to make sure it's kosher. I'm going to make a brach on it. And I'm going to use its strength to do a mitzvah. And, and God's like, okay. And then you know what happened to that little almond? You'll notice, by the way, when we do it, we go down. Why are we going down? You know, you have to bend when you do that. The reason we go down when we beat our chest is because we're mimicking the almond's descent. Did you know that? We're mimicking the almond's descent. The stuff you messed with in this world went down. So you go down and get it. You're going, you're going deep sea diving. You're going down to get what you messed up. And then what are you going through? The alphabet. Well, what was the world made of? The alphabet. Ashamnu, Bagadnu, Gazalnu. You're going through the alphabet because the whole world's made of the alphabet. And the almond's made of the olive bed. And I'm going down to get it. So I'm going to go down and I'm going to dig it out. I'm digging out the stuff that I put in Gehenna. Going down and trying to raise that stuff out. And that's really a beautiful thing to do. To do Teshuvah. And for those of us who are a little thick-headed and stubborn, there's Yom Kippur. Where all you got to do is just hang out. Because it's a factory reset, no matter what you're thinking about. Yom Kippur just simply works. So you don't have to be like Mr. Yom Kippur or Miss Yom Kippur for it to work. God gives every Jew a factory reset once a year. Now, if the Gentiles were to complain and say, how come they get a factory reset and we got to like die after 70 years to face, you know, God? The answer is, is because think how much a Jew can do wrong inadvertently in one week. A Jew can do more wrong in one week than a Gentile would do in their lifetime. And now just add every week of the year. So if we're really kind of the, if Jews are really like this chosen people who like are this like conduit, we're like an entire nation of priests, it says. Manleches Kohanim. A nation of priests. Well, if we're the priests, who are the practitioners? Well, it would be the people on the planet. 
So you can't have the priests be sinners, just ask the Pope. You can't have the priests be sinners. If the priests are sinners, you're really in trouble, and especially the people are in trouble if the priest's job is not being done because the priests are sinners. And so God set up a factory reset for Jews, not because of we're special, it's because the planet would, this whole ball would fall right through space from the weight of the world's problems if the Jews didn't get a reset every year. I'm quoting Michael McDonald of the Doobie Brothers, though. I heard it said that the weight of the world's problems is enough to make the ball fall right through space. Sorry. Anyway, the dating myself again, Doobie Brothers. Where were the Doobie Brothers? I wonder what they were into. So, anyway. <laughs> the Now, guess what? If you and here's the worst thing is if you don't do chuba and release the almond, it waits with like you know a Halloween hockey mask, you know, with a machete in one hand and a chainsaw in the other, you know. So you're you're having your Halloween now, which could be up to a year, which is super freaky because there ain't no clock on the wall. You know, you, any of us can put up with anything as long as we see the clock. You know, you, you can recover from any surgery as long as the doctor said three weeks and you can look at your calendar every couple days. But there ain't no clock on the wall. So every moment feels eternal. Freaky stuff. Certainly a good reason to have some male offspring to say Kaddish. <laughs> Female offspring aren't so bad either. But the male ones, they're pretty good for when you die. <laughs> You gotta have more than one for insurance. Now, anyway, the um, but none of us are gonna wait for that. And obviously, what's the worst day of the year to die? The day before Yom Kippur. And what's the best day to die? The day after Yom Kippur. And those are by far the best days. Boy, would that be horrible to be like sliding into home plate Yom Kippur, you know, and get crushed by a bulldozer or something. It's like no. <laughs> Anyway, but smart people do tshuva every night. Before they go to bed, they do tshuva. Why, why would you wait till you die? I mean, that's just ridiculous. And you never know when you're going to die, so you might as well do tshuva immediately. Um, and for those of you who are wondering, like, how can I do tshuva? Maybe I'm going to do it again. And the answer is, when you get there, you'll deal with it. Till you get there, you might, at least, what's wrong with being clean? What, do you also not shower because you might sweat again? Do you stop brushing your teeth because your teeth might get dirty again? Like, what, what kind of logic is that? To not do tshuva for something because you might do it again. Are you crazy? You don't live like that. You know, like, you're never going to drive a car because the gas tank might go empty again? <laughs> it's like, that's part of life. You'll deal with the sin if it reappears in your life. You'll deal with it then. And you know what? The likelihood of making a good choice is a lot higher if you're feeling clean. Think about it. When are you more likely to sin? When you already feel like a rat? Or when you feel like, like an angel? So when you do tshuva, you feel like an angel. You're less likely to sin. Okay, this class could go on and on and on, and I can get to the last part. But here's the last part, really quick: is that that the almond stays. You go out again, and you dealt with all that. Now you're in kuloto. It does not follow you. That's the goodness. It doesn't follow you. It stays there, and your soul now gets to pick up every mitzvah you ever did. Every mitzvah you ever did becomes a place. Now your soul can't change, but what your soul can do is have a greater vision of reality 
in reality is digital. So I can't explain what that's like because it's a full digital thing. We're at the other end of the electrodes, you know, like those kids' flashlights with the little pixels of fiber optics. We're on the other end of that. I can't tell you what it's like, but there is pleasure in this world and it's got to be better than that. Now, the final thing is, is you ready for this? This is really freaky. Is that almond waits for you to be reincarnated, even if it's hundreds of years later, and the almond's going to show up on your plate again in some salad. And your job is to eat it with a bracha. Tell them, everybody. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.